0: Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling.
1: And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore
0: NJ Watson. And today we're going to talk about TV Writer Representation 201, delving a little deeper into the ideas we introduced in our PT31 episode, that is TV Writer Rep 101. And where that episode covered the different kinds of reps and how you might go about getting one, this episode is now going to examine how to navigate that relationship effectively to best help your career as a TV writer,
1: so it's important to preface this entire discussion by reminding everyone of the common misconception that your agent or manager will do all the work for you and get you jobs, and then all you have to do is write. So your networking and utilizing of relationships is still integral to building your career. Even once you have that rep, it's still 75% you, 25% them or 80, 20. Some people like to joke that it's 90, 10 in line with their commission percentage. (laughs) So the important thing is just to realize that your hustle doesn't stop when you get a rep, every relationship has two sides. So we're going to go into some detail on how you can be pulling your weight in that side of the partnership and making the best use of them. And first, let's look at the kinds of relationships you will
0: be having between your manager and your agent. Now, the rule of thumb is generally speaking, agents are there for specific deals while managers are there for your career. And oftentimes you'll stay in touch more with your managers on a creative level. While agent-client relationships are pretty clean cut, every manager-client relationship will be different because it entirely depends on who you are rep by where they work and how they work. Some managers enjoy a very hands-on approach where they want to track outlines and so forth Others just want to read a finished product. Now, that's not to say one is better than the other. It's entirely up to you and your own creative preference. Uh, those are conversations you should have upfront before sending with someone. So you can check our one on one episode for more on that. But what about that traditional manager versus agent relationship? What does that look like?
1: So, for a manager, the way that you're going to be using them to best effect is involving them in your development process, you're running log lines and concepts by them, asking them which of those sound interesting, and also what the market is marketplace for that idea might be you know is this something that uh, would be appealing in the town right now or even what it could be used as a sample for what's you know staffing up right now so you know you won't run everything from those concepts to outlines by them first drafts for those feedback notes you know treat your manager kind of like a development exec working with you on your material as well as the rest of the expected stuff where they set up general meetings and pitch meetings uh, for you around town
0: They are also a great way and a great resource to bounce ideas around in terms of what is the best use of your time. Personally, when I'm between projects, I sometimes like to hear what my managers believe I should be working on next or which project I should be prioritizing. And they're not dictating anything. Uh, It's just a question of hearing their thoughts on the issue, and then I'll be making that final call. But sometimes it is good to have a little bit of a fire burning uh, and know that maybe you should be finishing that rewrite of this one draft of this one project because those managers want to get it out to a certain producer uh, before a specific kind of deadline. Uh, Again, that doesn't mean you need to follow verbatim what they tell you, but you should be valuing their opinion, uh, because after all, that is what your rep are for.
1: Right. And this is why people often say that it's best for a baby writer to get a manager first, because they really, you know, work with you developmentally and improving your writing, improving your career, focusing all of that stuff in, getting you to the point where you are ready to be working as a writer and taking your stuff out around town. So that's going to be the focus of that kind of manager relationship.
0: Right. But agents are more project-based, correct?
1: Yeah. So with your agent, obviously there's some give and take here. If you're a smaller agency, they might be doing some of that manager type stuff with you. But in general, agents are going to be looking for the jobs you're going to get and trying to make those sales and those deals for you. So what you want to do to make the best use of your agent is keep them informed as to the shows that are getting picked up around town that you'd like to work on or the ones that you're passionate about. Be reading deadline, Hollywood Reporter variety for those announcements. Keep your ear to the ground with assistance of people that you know in your own town. And then, you know, be having them submit your work to the people that you meet on your own even. You know, if you've run into a producer and exec and met them through friends and things like that. Even if if you've only ever talked between the two of them, reach out to your agent and say, hey, I just had a coffee with this producer and I'd love for you to send the script to them. Instead of you just emailing it yourself, involve your agent in that process so that they are in the loop.
0: Yeah, I feel like the agent relationship with other people is much more formal in a way than a manager where a manager, because that person is uh, gonna be linked to uh, your creative career and uh, sort of like this macro track of your life, an agent, because it's more on a project to project basis and they have the ability to negotiate Contracts and uh, much more specific business type details. Agents are much more sort of honed in on the business side of things and much more accustomed to dealing sort of in the practical way about ways of navigating your projects.
1: Yeah, I think agents are largely there for action items. They have things on a list that they can be like, get this meeting, set this pitch, uh, negotiate this contract, things like that. Whereas with your manager, you might be just speaking in a little bit broader terms about your general career direction and creative development and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, again, just keep your agent in the loop and use them as well to check in on whether people have read your stuff or whether they would like to meet. Now, whether that's a meeting that your agent or your manager has set or something that you've done yourself, it's it's useful to have them there. It's kind of their job to bug people, you know, it's expected of them as agents. So it won't blow back on you if you're constantly following up and emailing someone, you know, it's just your agent, that's what they're meant to do, as well as all of the stuff you usually expect of agents like getting you staffing meetings, reviewing your contracts and deals, etc. All right,
0: let's talk about perhaps one of the most, if not the most important part of that rep client relationship. And like any relationship, the writer rep bond needs to be maintained and nourished through proper communication. And practically, what that means is you should let your reps, especially your managers, know what is going on with your writing and your career. And one of the biggest mistakes newer writers or freshly rep writers have is to not keep in touch with your reps, especially managers who are by and large more involved in your career plans and scripts. And now that doesn't mean you should be constantly nagging your reps with questions, but rather be direct and sparse and purposeful with how you contact them. If it's, you know, a quick question, that's fine, an email and you're done with it. Now, if it requires a bigger kind of conversation, then phone will usually be easier uh, than in person. I found that my order of operations when contacting my reps goes from email to phone to in-person in terms of a time commitment and also the importance of that conversation I want to have with them.
1: I think it depends on what's going on too. You know, if you're in the midst of staffing season, you want to be maybe talking to your agent weekly and, you know, why, what are we working on? What are we trying to get out there and do? What's What can we do to help? If you're on a show and you're busy, you might talk to them, yeah, once a month or two, you know, whatever it happens to be. It's as needed, but it's good to be in regular contact. Speaking as someone who used to work for a literary manager, I saw the difference between the clients who were in contact regularly and always talking about new projects and having new ideas and handing in new drafts of the script every couple of weeks. And then the people who would go missing for months at a time and then eventually come back and go, oh yeah, I'm almost finished a draft on something. You know, the the manager's attention is going to be so much more on those clients who are actively engaged and involved with them. And it's going to work out better for you to be doing that as well.
0: And also the way you are going to communicate with them depends on the kind of conversation you want to have, or at least the content. For example, if you're talking about notes over a draft, then probably email and phone is going to be address suited than having an in-person conversation. Uh, you know, Nick, we should sit down and have a, a proper physical conversation when it comes to your draft, because uh, I've got some big notes. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, it doesn't really bode well versus, you know, if it's like a casual, maybe 30 minute phone conversation and then there's a follow up by email just written down uh, what kind of notes they're giving you. I feel like that's an easier, simpler, more straightforward way of dealing with that.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. So speaking of that, one of the most important things to be in communication with your reps about is meetings.
0: Yeah. And the way that meetings happen is pretty straightforward. Your reps will contact you regarding a meeting, see if you're interested, which hopefully the answer is yes. Then it gets on the books. Then the meeting happens and you can check our meeting paper team episode for more on what happens in that. And once you are out of that meeting with that executive or that writer, you should do a quick download of what happened with your reps. So notable elements you should include in that conversation with your reps are things that were brought up during that conversation, like projects and development, things you pitched, scripts that they want to read, that you wrote, staffing opportunities, as well as any other noteworthy pieces of conversation. Maybe it's small talk uh, for you, but perhaps sometimes it can lead to bigger discussions about projects that they have in the books or uh, IPs.
1: Yeah, there's really no piece of information that's too small to relay. Uh, you know, just put it all in an email. Whether it's small talk about what's going on around town or what they have coming up, or it's you know action items like we need to send the script to them anything and everything can be useful to your agent and they'll pick and choose what is useful to them from that download and you know not all meetings are equal you sometimes you'll go into a meeting and you'll really vibe with someone and you'll just hit it off and you know that you want to work with this person and that they seem to really like you that's important to communicate to your uh, agent or your manager as well as those meetings where it's like oh it was pretty perfunctory we said hi we did our spiels and they're like cool we'll keep you in mind you know that's maybe a meeting that's not going to lead to something as immediately as those ones we really do hit it off so i think giving them the temperature of the room and how that conversation went is also a useful piece of information.
0: Also, don't underestimate the kinds of conversations or topics you're going to be talking about For example, let's say you're going to a general meeting at a production company to be staffed on a show, potentially down the line, and then you start talking about their extra TV properties. Maybe it's a video game, maybe it's VR, maybe it's some kind of like web series, whatever it is, you hit it off based on those topics. And then you go back to your reps and you inform them, oh, wait, we really hit it off about this non-TV related project. Perhaps there's some leeway that can be made. Perhaps that's a road you're interested to go down. Yeah.
1: And your reps are going to do their own legwork and reach out to them and get, you know, the executive or the producer's side of how that meeting went too, you know, which hopefully is similar to your perception of how it went, but you never know, you know, they're going to get kind of the, the more objective take from them.
0: Yeah. And to that point, I mean, it's a bit of, game of telephone initially where they themselves are going to get their own download from the side of the executive or whoever uh, you talked with from their end. So uh, sometimes your reps will even give you the contacts direct info after that meeting uh, if that executive really you know liked you and wants to keep in touch.
1: Yeah, that's a really important point. I, you know, Even though your rep is the point of contact or the middleman between you and the people you're meeting, the execs, producers, showrunners, you should really be striving to build your own personal relationships with these people outside of that official channel of communication execs will often give you their business card after a meeting that's not for no reason you know they want you to keep in touch so send a follow-up thank you email a week or two after meeting them make it personal and engaging you know call back to the stuff that you talked about in your meeting and then if you haven't heard anything from them in a while maybe check in every three months or so see what's new in their world you know what projects have they got going on update them on everything you've been up to if you've been writing on a show if you've been developing something you know it's even just personal stuff like i went for a holiday to Hawaii it's good to stay on their radar you're in their mind when these opportunities do come up what are some steps that writers can be taking to be proactive with their own career not just rely on their reps Yeah. So Joey mentioned the other
0: week that he asks his own roadmap writers to make a list of 50 companies to shop a potential project around. And while you don't need to go that far for every project, especially when it comes to TV, where there are maybe more limited avenues, you should be proactively making lists of companies that you are interested in. And what do I mean by several lists? Well, first when you're a tv writer there are a couple of angles of attack one is much like with features when you're trying to uh, develop and sell projects and in that case you should be making lists of production companies and studios you believe are in line with the property you are going out with so let's say you acquired the reboot rights to the hottest tv show of 1990 Puczynski. Now, if you've never heard of this, and this is a legit TV show, uh, that's because NBC canceled it before it got to air. And the show was about a Chicago cop who, after getting killed in the line of duty, has his spirit transferred into an English bulldog. And then the dog came back to the force to solve
1: crimes on a weekly basis. It's of such a 1990s concept. I feel like there's so many movies like that. A guy is now an animal. I mean, it's a classic and it makes complete
0: sense why you would want to reboot that hot, (laughs) hot show. Now, the important thing here is that you are trying to get this project off the ground, right? So now you should be making a list of production companies who would be interested in your own take of this project. Now, obviously, a lot of the take aspect will depend on your own angle and tone, as we discussed in our PT60 episode. Uh, is it a postmodern surrealist fever dream akin to Twin Peaks? Then maybe you want to go meet at Lynch's company, or Plan B, who did the OA. Now, is it more of a meta-dramedy about the original making of Puczynski, like what Lisa Kudrow's The Comeback was on HBO? Then maybe Lorne Michaels' Broadway video, who did Man Seeking Women, would be a good contact. Whatever the case may be, you got to juggle and figure out what is the best avenue and venue for that property.
1: Right. And of course, that goes for your own original projects, too, not just ones that you have some sort of IP on or pitching a take on to a company. Whatever it happens to be, you should always be keeping in mind and and doing your research. Go on IMDB, go on whatever you have access to online and see Wikipedia, you know, which companies were behind the similar kinds of shows and projects that you are working on and finding out, you know, which relationships you should be making.
0: Absolutely. And another kind of list relates to tracking the places that you would wanna go out for staffing. Hopefully there is a crossover between you know the projects that you wanna make and the projects you wanna be staffed on. However, sometimes those two elements do not match perfectly or uh, those companies simply do not have projects on the air yet. So you gotta read the trades, track properties that are being greenlit and figure out which ones are right for you. Is there a specific show about your staff that you believe is perfect for you? And do you have that sample that totally matches what they will be looking for? Let your reps know that you would love to be connected
1: to those people right I mean you might assume that your agents or your managers are keeping track of all of this and they would know what you're right for but it's important to communicate your passion about a particular thing because then they can push really hard on whatever it is that you want to be on the most so in the same way when you are out pitching it's helpful to take that project to as many places as possible even if it might not be 100% right you know a pitch that doesn't get bought isn't a failure because you're still getting your face in front of people and showing them your creative chops you know you're making an impression on these executives around town so around of pitches can double as sort of like a lightning round of general meetings.
0: Yeah, and that ties back to what we said earlier about the meetings aspect of it, where uh, you can't underestimate the importance of getting your face out and talking with someone and building that relationship. Now, in addition to knowing where you want to go, it's equally as important to know who you are meeting with. Uh, you should leverage your own pre-existing relationships to help your reps move you further down the track. I know it's a lot of lists, but you can make another one featuring everyone in the business. You do know what kind of relationship you have with them and who they connect to. And then your reps will have their own roster of connections and they should themselves know people at places you would like to meet with, but you shouldn't rely entirely on them.
1: Yeah, I mean, after you take those meetings with those execs, sometimes it's good to call in mutual friends and get them to put in a good word for you, especially it's something like staffing. So it's useful to have that list ready and enabled. So now even if you aren't going out, you know, pitching your own project or IP or things like that, Managers are there to be introducing you around town and building that relationship in your network of fans. They will obviously have their own ideas about who you should meet in general, but if there are particular places you want to get a meeting, even if they don't have a show going right now, you know, don't be afraid to tell them if you love scandal and grays try to set up a meeting even with a lower level exec over there like a ce or director of development at shondaland you don't have to talk to shonda herself to get on this company's radar in fact often the lower level execs are the best people to know because they are the ones who are personally curating those writer lists that they're keeping in mind for the future shows and coordinating all the projects they have on their development slate once again, even if these companies don't have something staffing right now, you don't have to have some big flashy project or accomplishment to get their attention. It's just good to have a get to know you meeting so that they can keep you in mind for when they do have something you would be good for.
0: Yeah, and it all ties back to something we've hit on over and over and over on this podcast, and that is the idea of branding yourself as your writer, having that assortment of samples that match who you are creatively as well as personally. So if you are yourself aware of what kind of writing you love to do and what kind of shows you love to. Be on, then it behooves you to make those lists and know exactly how do you match the business side to the creative side.
1: Yeah. And on a similar note to what Alex was saying earlier with this keeping lists, you can create your own tracking document or sheet of who you've met with, when it was, what they read of yours, and what their response to that was, and even a little reminder to follow up and check back in or ask your agents or managers to do that for you. Now, obviously, your reps or your reps assistants are keeping their own internal version of one of these tracking documents for themselves to see who you've, you know, they've submitted your stuff to. But you should have your own version as well, I think. You know, the amount of times I've scrolled back through mine and been like, oh, yeah, that's right, we met with this person, we should really follow up there. And sometimes it helps even to give your agent or manager a reminder. It's like, hey, whatever happened with X Y Z exec? Did they get back to you on reading my script? And then the agent is obviously busy with a bunch of things. And like, oh yeah, we didn't get a response on that. Let me call them on Monday. So it's good to have that working on both sides. Absolutely, you got to be proactive in that relationship. So when your agents or managers are reviewing your work itself, they're probably going to have thoughts and opinions and notes on that. So. Let's delve a little bit into that. Yeah, so let's look at the kinds of notes
0: they're going to be giving you. And first off, I feel like a lot of uh, those managers and those reps are gonna give you notes based on clarity. Uh, can you make this a little bit more understandable or clear? And they are often the first readers of your material, which means they come from an outside perspective. They read it not just with their own you know, creative sensibilities in mind, but also the sensibilities of executives they want to send your material to. And sometimes they will want you to clarify or streamline certain elements. And that is because they know the project could be suited to certain places over others who maybe favor a more, let's say, mainstream approach to storytelling. Now, is that kind of approach uh, right for your project? Well, that's up to you, but you've built that trust with your reps and they should know what you're going after and you should know what places they're trying to get you out to. So their notes should reflect that.
1: Yeah, that's one of the most valuable things about having someone who is keeping their finger on the pulse of the industry is that they can speak to things that you don't necessarily have information about, who's buying what, what's overdone right now, all that kind of thing that you know might not consider. They're going to be able to give you the the business perspective on your your show or your script, as well as the creative side.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And on that, beyond those You know storytelling elements, those notes that your reps are going to give you can be related to issues about marketability or budget. Now, of course, no one wants to compromise their perfect creative vision with uh, practical reasonings. Well, those kinds of notes tie back to those discussions that you should have had and are having about your career and the next sample slash the next direction you want to go on. And another reason as to why you should be talking with your reps about what stuff you're writing. Did you pitch your reps, your awesome sci-fi fantasy genre-bending show about time-traveling orcs? <laughs> you know, budgetary concerns should not be stopping you when writing specs. In fact, a lack of uh, practical considerations can often empower you to make bold, creative choices, which could make for a better original sample when going out for staffing. But don't be shocked if slash when your reps balk at the idea of legitimately trying to sell this time-traveling project
1: yeah exactly and it is really about making the best use of your time it takes a long time to develop and write and polish a pilot script or a feature or anything like that. And you want to make sure that you are having something ready that can be used right now to help your career or, you know, to take it out and pitch it and sell it and that kind of thing. So even if you have some crazy big spec idea, if your agent's like, well, I can't really use this to get you on any shows and we definitely can't sell it, then maybe that's something you should be looking at doing a little bit later and focusing on something that has a, a more immediate benefit to you.
0: Absolutely. It's, it is important to figure out sort of the Goal of that spec, right? Is it a spec to get staffed? Is it a spec to sell? Or is it a spec to fulfill both of those niches? Uh, so I feel like if you can figure out which uh, category your script fits in, then you'll be, you know, 10 steps ahead of your competition.
1: So what if you're being given notes by your reps that you maybe don't agree with?
0: <laughs> well, uh, much like criminal suspects have the right to remain silent, you have the right to not address the notes of your reps. If you have a legitimate problem with them, but I would still suggest taking every note into account, especially when you first hear them. Now you gotta remember, that when it comes to taking uh, creative notes most people's instinct is to reject those notes probably out of ego uh, but once you take a step back you realize hold on there's oftentimes a valid reason for that note to be given you know it's the classic note behind the note so when your reps give you creative notes figure out why they're doing it in the first place for the umpteenth time in this episode you don't have to take everything the reps say to the bank uh, in fact you know the project better than they do after all you've Uh, lived and breathed in that world. But there's no harm in understanding where they're coming from and taking that note, uh, at least on an intellectual level.
1: These people have been working in the business for a long time, and they deal with a multitude of writers, and they've seen probably 10 different versions of the same kind of script that you're you're throwing out there. And so it's worthwhile saying, wait a minute, they probably have a valid point. Maybe they do know a little bit better than me And exploring, like you said, that note behind the note. Now, if these disagreements that you're having are coming on a broader level, perhaps about you know the direction of your career or the kind of, you know, they're trying to turn this script into something that it really isn't or push it into a different genre or space, I think that that all comes back to that initial discussion and being clear of what kind of work and shows you want to take and what you don't. If you're an adult animation writer and you don't want to do preschool bridge animation uh, or if you're a hard sci-fi writer and you want nothing to do with fantasy you need to make sure your agent your manager know that so they're not wasting their time and energy looking for that stuff for you or trying to steer you in that direction if it's not what you want to do it's okay to narrow things down and limit your options if it's just your niche that you love
0: Yeah, to that, I think there's a bigger difference between like a note given uh, that could harm, let's say, you know, the reveal in the third act of a script versus sort of like a macro note about who you are as a writer. Those kinds of disagreements about your career are the kinds of conversations you should be having even before signing with someone. And maybe, let's say your sensibilities have evolved, right, as time goes on. Well, if you are planning some kind of switch in a genre or format, you should be discussing this with your reps, but you should also offer your own plan of attack. You know, if you wanna write maybe something darker and you come from a more uh, upbeat sort of side of the table, maybe you can write something akin to Barry that connects those dots between an upbeat character drama and a thriller that's a, a very dramatic, uh, you know sample that you have in your arsenal.
1: Yeah. Don't surprise your reps with a sudden right turn in your career and be like, <laughs> hey, I'm a multi cam comedy writer now and you used to be dark, gritty drama. So they should be aware of that ahead of time before you're throwing these samples out at them.
0: So those are sort of disagreements about your career. But what about those business deals? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So in terms of writer's agreements, most staff writer and lower level writer agreements are going to be pretty boilerplate with little room for your agent to argue and negotiate. Now, it's important note managers can't really officially weigh in on contracts. It's something for agents and for lawyers to do. Maybe your manager will look at it anyway, but they they can't be the ones dealing with business affairs at the studio. So the things that agents do have room to kind of negotiate in these contracts are, you know, trying to get you your pay a little bit above scale. They might uh, make sure you're getting a title bump next season to story editor. They can kind of negotiate sometimes with the number of weeks that you're guaranteed, if it's, you know, 20 or 15 or 30. And also, you know, whether you're allowed to develop outside with a studio producer while you're under contract as a staff writer. It's pretty normal for them to stop any lower-level staff writers from developing because they want their full attention on the show. But if you already have something uh, that you're developing before you get staffed, they can carve that out of the contract. But those points are really about It in terms of the leeway they have to move around on those writer's agreements. So don't necessarily expect any of those things or say, well, you're my agent. You need to get me more money and uh, a longer guarantee and all that kind of thing, especially if you could just come in as a staff writer. Now, the deals and the contracts where you might have a little more room to go back and forth with them are those kind of development options, sale deals. You have more room there to maneuver.
0: Yeah, I feel like the disagreements that most happens when it comes to new writers, they often come less with staffing agreements than shopping agreements, as well as the writer's creative involvement with the show they're trying to sell. In short, when you're a newbie writer with little active production experience, you will almost certainly not be a showrunner on the show you just sold. The studio and the network will very quickly bring on an EP they trust to handle the project, which can cause some trauma given that They may have a drastically different creative vision from yours. In fact, you should probably be delineating from the get-go what kind of creative involvement in the property you want to have, assuming you do care about it beyond selling. But as a new writer, you will have almost no leverage. Which is why, in my mind, the right move is to partner up with an experienced EP and showrunner before selling the property. It's kind of a win-win for everyone involved. Uh, On your end, you are already working with someone you trust. You're the one who's chosen that person as opposed to the network forcing someone down on you. On the EP's end, they can help boost a project and a person they believe in. And on the studio slash networks end, they can buy a project knowing there's a trustworthy person with experience at the helm. Getting an EP slash runner to package themselves with your project is obviously easy Easier said than done, but those are usually the most successful relationships in the long run. Or you can hope that the EP, the network and studio bring in, uh, is someone with whom you gel magically
1: right i mean if our listeners aren't aware if you are lucky enough to sell a tv show the typical thing is that you get maybe a co-ep credit and then you get a creator credit and so you're not going to be the one running the room like you might be given some kind of decision making or input into things because of you know you were the one who wrote this pilot script and created it but like alex said i think it is a much better idea to have someone on board from the beginning because then you can kind of shop around and see who would be a good fit for this project rather than uh, just hoping things turn out better in the end <laughs>
0: So speaking of reps, let's figure out ways of selecting and choosing that right rep for you. Now, if you're in the enviable position where you are taking multiple meetings with reps, congrats, whether you're being rep for the first time or you're adding, say, a manager to your team when you already have an agent, there are a few things to consider. And these choices will influence and set expectations for your rep relationships from the outset. So choose carefully.
1: Right, I mean, aside from the obvious things like the personal connection to this rep you're meeting with and how passionate they are about you, there are a few things to consider. Now, the first one, which we've talked about from the podcast, is whether to go with a boutique agency or a management company, or one of the, the bigger names in the industry. So do you want a smaller team or company with a more personalized, hands-on approach, perhaps more attention, more hand-holding, and, and really developing you as a writer, but perhaps with a smaller network of relationships and less reach overall in the industry? Or do you want one of these big Hollywood machines working for you that can you know, reach out to anyone and everyone and make these big deals, but might be handling many more clients and so have less time and attention for you?
0: Yeah, in my mind, when you're sort of starting out with no production or business experience, there's really no reason to go sign at a huge agency unless you know for a fact that the agent repping you is going to hustle for you. The reality is that you're such a small fish that an agent at CA or even UTA will not be very interested in you if you don't have any experience.
1: Right. I think the two most common ways you end up at one of those big agencies when you're starting out is either you perhaps got staffed on a show. And so the agents who rep the writers on that show might be like, oh, cool, I'll take you on. And they put some junior agent on your team who just got promoted. And so maybe they're looking out for you, but they are also paying attention to all their bigger clients. So you're not going to have quite as much attention.
0: Yeah, it's also to get that free 10% because you're getting stabbed. So it's really uh, right. it behooves them to rep you at that point.
1: For sure. There's that. And then maybe if you happen to make a splash with, say, a feature spec that gets somehow on the blacklist or whatever, and then agencies come looking for you, they see what they can do with that project. Maybe they sell it somewhere. But then I think it's, it's pretty common in those scenarios for once the buzz from that fades, you're left rotting in the bottom of the roster and they're not really looking out for the rest of your career.
0: Personally, I don't know about you, but I feel like that more niche, uh, intimate personal experience with your rep is nine times out of 10 better because they will understand you more on a creative level and professionally on a business level, uh, they will want to hustle more because they have fewer clients. And Mm -hmm. so more is at stake even for them.
1: Right, and it can also be about getting the right balance if you do have both an agent and a manager, a balance between those two things. Maybe you have a boutique manager and a big agent, or you have a big management company and then a boutique agency, or whatever it happens to be, whatever works best for you. And another thing I think that is often overlooked is the relationship between your reps. Quite often, if you're working with a manager, they're gonna be the ones who refer you to the agent because it's someone that they know well and that they work with and they have a great relationship with. So rather than just piecing together two random people and hoping that they work well, you might even want to go go through referrals from either side to really complete your team.
0: And really consider when getting an agent is right for you versus a manager. And that's something we talked about in our one-on-one episode.
1: So, here are the other really big things to consider when choosing your team. And the first one is packaging. So these big agencies, the big four or five, have the ability to what's called package projects. That is, if you have some sort of killer script, they can go to really big name actors, directors, and producers that are wrapped by that same agency and attach them before you even go out pitching to production companies and studios and networks. This makes the project much more attractive and the agency won't even charge you their usual 10% commission on it because they get to take what's called a packaging fee from the studio and the network if it gets set up somewhere. Now smaller agencies can of course assemble a package for your project but there's a lot more legwork and it involves submitting directly to places and producers and actors to get their interest rather than one agent picking up the phone to another agent in the same building and streamlining this process and having a much higher chance of success.
0: Packaging is right now a huge part of television. 87% of all TV shows on the air are packaged, with 79% of shows packaged by WMENCA alone. And in case you missed it, the Writers Guild's next battleground is TV packaging because even though it may sound attractive, packaging poses an inherent conflict of interest since the agencies are both the reps of the writers and their employers because they're getting that percentage point off of the show. Hopefully in my mind the way packaging works could soon change. Some agencies could evolve into fully fledged production companies or managing companies, uh, over just being an agency. And this is something we're in fact following on paper. Team and a topic you will be hearing more of as things develop. But currently, uh, packaging does tie back to something you know we brought up earlier about this idea of being proactive about your projects in your career, and that can include finding the right people or IP to attach to your project. And despite the crazy numbers I just mentioned, even if your rep isn't CA or WME you shouldn't underestimate their abilities to package and your proactiveness of getting those people attached to test your own project
1: right there are always ways around it now let's say that you do take your project out to a producer who signs on board often those producers are in an agency and then they can take it to a packaging agent and do it that way. So there are, you know, loopholes and things that, you know, don't assume you're never ever going to get a show sold if you're not with one of the big agencies. But if you're prioritizing being a creator, and again, this is not something you need to worry about as a staff writer, but later in your career, you may end up making the jump from a smaller agency to a bigger one, or they might come hunting for you after you're successful on a TV show and try to poach you from there. So the next thing to take into consideration with your reps is sort of the flip side of packaging, where packaging is related to agencies. We're going to talk about producing as it relates to management companies. So managers are unique in that they are legally allowed to be a producer on their clients' projects, whereas agents are legally prohibited from doing so, hence this whole packaging workaround. So this means a number of things, potentially both positive and negative. A manager who is a producer on your project may be much more invested in getting it made as then they get a producer's fee sometimes on top of their manager's fee or sometimes they will waive that manager's fee and of course a credit and involvement in you know an active project in Hollywood. So it means that this manager slash producer can perhaps reach out to a broader network that they might not have contacted in their capacity as just your manager, such as financiers and independent investors, people who can put money into these projects. However, it can often be problematic as some managers automatically attach themselves to produce every one of their clients' projects, especially some of these smaller management companies working out of their garages it's, it's almost predatory sometimes and if this manager slash producer doesn't have much of a proven track record or reputation around town it can turn off producers and production companies who don't want to share this project and the producer's fee which all comes out of the same pool with another producer especially one that they perceive might not add any value to the project Now, in features, it's pretty common for these baggage producers to slide in without much trouble because they've helped find and developed a project or they're close with the creator. But in TV, it's often a much bigger roadblock to getting a show made because there's so many more avenues it has to pass through.
0: Yeah, it's almost as if you spent all these months and you're sort of building and crafting that small raft and then, you know, one person jumps on the raft and then another person and another person and another person and pretty soon that raft is like sinking before it even gets to shore. So you got to be careful about the people you bring on a project because even though packaging, for example, may sound very attractive with this idea of, oh, if I'm getting all these big names, you're going to sell the show really, really fast. But the reality is that these big names maybe taking a bigger commission. And at the end of the day, if they're taking, you know, 50% of the budget out of uh, your show, your show is not even going to exist because they're going to be taking all that money up front instead of it going to your show.
1: Right. And one thing that can kill a project really quickly too, is multiple agencies trying to split the packaging fees. Now it can be negotiated and it often is done, but it's the kind of thing that, really will sink your project before it even gets off the ground because an agency just wants all that money for themselves. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Another reason why we should uh, support the guild and their efforts to uh, curtail packaging
1: for sure. So, all of that said, there are some big management companies that have made a business and a name for themselves in producing, as well as managing. Places like Three Arts, Gotham Group, Anonymous Content, Circle of Confusion. These companies are legitimate hybrid management production companies that have produced great shows like The Good Place, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Mr. Robot, True Detective, The Walking Dead. In this regard, having a company and producers on board with that kind of history and experience is a really valuable asset to any project, and being a management company, they also sort of have the ability to take advantage of their client relationships to spruce up that package.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day when you're selecting that rep, you gotta balance out, you know, how they're valuable to you on a creative level, on a professional level, as well as what they bring to the table as a person and a business entity.
1: Right. Don't just leap at the first random manager or agent or producer who jumps on board to hand your project. You really consider all of those factors before agreeing to anything.
0: And again, that ties back to communication. You got to have that conversation before you sign with them. Otherwise you're gonna be lost in the woods. Let's close out with a few common issues you may have with your reps or reps may have with you. Uh, Of course, a lot of those can be resolved by doing things we've discussed in this very episode, but we wanted to highlight a few particular problems. Uh, And let's start with frequent issues reps have with their clients.
1: So the biggest one, I think, is just the client not turning out enough material maybe they signed them off the back of a great sample or two and they've been working out there getting these meetings and then a year goes by and they still don't have a new script or they haven't finished their script or they haven't found the time to do anything like that I think that's one of the main ways that you're going to piss off your rep so the way that you can address this and make sure you're keeping ahead of the curve with your own agent or manager is you know obviously enough by turning out new material it's great to have something whether it's a finished script or a treatment or whatever it happens to be, something that you can take out and pitch every three to six months. It would be great if you had one to two new samples a year at minimum.
0: Yeah, it's like adding sort of that sample to that tapestry of your roster. And reps do know that if you are in a show, you won't have the time to bang out a new draft of something. Uh, However, you can still work on sort of macro level elements like pitches or ideas to float to your reps. And conversely, if they're trying to set you up to places, have those latest drafts ready to go with those notes addressed and everything polished.
1: Right. Another thing you can be doing aside from sort of deepening your repertoire of samples is diversifying it and building a broader arsenal of samples that can be used to get you staffed or get you work on spec projects for studios and things like that. So, you know, you might want to have a feature sample as well as a network drama sample and a cable drama sample and, you know, a sci-fi and a fantasy and all that kind of thing. The more different things you have, the more specific your samples are to certain niches, the easier you'll be able to get into those places that specialize in those things.
0: Yeah. And the reason why you also want to diversify in that context is because those reps of yours are going to be able to send you out and of branch out kind of like a hydra uh, or an octopus uh, <laughs> all over hell hydra exactly uh, all over town so that's a very important uh, element to keep in mind
1: right and again this is not necessarily betraying the specific niche and brand you've built for yourself it's working within it and having the widest range of samples within what you're passionate about and want to do another frequent problem
0: that reps have with their clients is that they're client is not really doing any legwork or hustle of their own
1: exactly like we talked about at the start of this episode a lot of people do just have this assumption it's like sweet i've got a manager an agent they're going to settle the meetings for me i'm going to walk in and just do my part and then i'm relying on them to get me this job and that's absolutely not true uh, i would say that probably more often than not the jobs you end up with are because of your own hustle. And then your agent or manager just comes in for that last little bit to do the alley-oop, you know, really close down the case or get you that one extra meeting that might help support it.
0: Yeah, you should be the one seeding, you know, the ground and they're going to be the ones watering it, but you're the one making that first move. Otherwise, you know, that move doesn't exist. Another problem that reps have with their clients is that clients sometimes do not keep those reps in the loop. And that is exactly what we talked about earlier about the importance of proper communication. You need to let your reps know how your meetings went, and the next project you're working on, and why you think this project should be what you're writing now.
1: Yeah, in the same way that you want to be hearing from your rep frequently about what they've been doing for you, they want to hear about what you've been doing for them. So whether that is an email download every week or two of like, hey, I just met this producer for coffee. I've almost finished my outline for this script. I'm hoping to get it to you in the next few weeks. Or even just putting them in the BCC line of an email reply to you know, some exec that you were catching up with or something like that. Just whatever you can do to keep them in the loop like that, regular catch up phone calls, the better it's going to be both ways. Call your mom. All right. So what about the flip side of this? What are some of the issues that clients often have with their reps?
0: Well, like we just brought up, much like in the way that reps want to hear from the clients, clients sometimes are frustrated because they're not hearing from their reps or they feel you know forgotten about. But proper communication also means not to over communicate. Don't be desperate about speaking with your reps. You got to let them do what they're doing best. So sometimes it takes a little time before they get back to you.
1: I think a question you need to ask yourself is, what are they going to be reaching out to me about? Are you giving them the samples and the things, you know, the ammunition they need to go out there and do their job for you? If you're not giving them a new sample to go out and do, what are you calling them about? Hey, has anything just magically emerged out of the blue? Did someone drop down from the sky and offer me a job even though I didn't do anything to precipitate that? You know, you need to be giving them the right tools they need to work for you. Don't just expect them to come back to you with handfuls of gold each time
0: yeah and uh, to that i feel like a good rule of thumb is to only contact your rep with a new piece of information either you have you know an updated draft or you met someone really interesting or you have a new job opportunity whatever the case may be if you're the one reaching out to your rep and you should be reaching out to your rep then include that meaningful piece of information and update about you and your life
1: exactly it's a little bit like the the boy who cried wolf if you keep reaching out to your agent every three days going what's happening why aren't i getting any work then they're gonna start ignoring your emails and your phone calls because you're reaching out with stuff that isn't important or timely or doesn't have any action item associated with it. So the next issue that clients often feel they have with their reps is maybe not getting enough meetings or enough results.
0: Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people should ask themselves why that is in the first place. Maybe you don't have the right samples Or you really want to target certain people or places that you think you would be best at. And then in that case, you should be telling your reps. Is it literally zero meetings? You know, think of things like, am I actually getting anything from my managers over time? Even if it's one meeting a month, that's better than nothing. And you got to be cool with it. Don't be too eager when you sign with someone new. Give them a chance to strategize how they want to put you out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be any number of things. It could be that you're going into a meeting and you're giving a very dry conversation and you're not sparking any passion in these execs and these producers when they're talking to you. And so they don't really have the fire to want to go and work with you. And maybe that's some feedback that your agent can relay to you and you can work on, or you're not quite executing something in your samples and it's not getting, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the rep's fault if you're not getting these meetings. In fact, all they're working with is your material and your personality. So it's more likely than not going to be something that you can be doing better.
0: Yeah. You got to reassess that you know, creative strategy and personal branding. And to that, another familiar crisis that clients have over their reps is this idea that they're clashing over the material, whether it's ready or if it's the right sample to go out with. How do you feel clients should address that issue?
1: It's like we've been saying this whole episode, these are discussions that need to be happening well before you're having these arguments over your material. I think making sure everyone's on the same page and in communication about where you want your career to go and what kind of material you want to be turning out and what kind of shows you want to be working for are going to avoid 99% of these arguments about here's an issue with your script or your concept. So all of this said, there may eventually reach a point where you realize that this relationship with your rep is not working one way or the other. Maybe it's something that you're doing, something that they're doing, or it's just not the right fit. So it is always good to stop and reevaluate and look at whether this really is working out for you. And if you need to look into other options, maybe you got signed by a junior manager who's just been hip pocketing you and they're still working on the desk of some other agent or boss and they just don't have the time to get you the meetings. You've had one meeting all year. They never return notes for your scripts, things like that. Maybe then you should be looking elsewhere and seeing what you can do.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to look out in in that arena. One thing is, did I benefit from this rep on a practical level? So did I get any meetings out of it? Are they giving, you know, better notes than other reps? Am I getting out there in front of people? Are my pitches getting sold or getting heard? I think that's one aspect. The other aspect is more maybe esoterical. Do we get along? Do we agree on my performances as a writer? Do we agree on the path of my career? So those are elements, you know, you got to figure out whether or not you really gel with. And once again, you got to give it time. It's not going to happen in a month. It may not even happen in a year. You got to give it time and figure out if that relationship really works,
1: yeah. Sometimes it might be a no fault situation. It's a good manager and you're a good writer, but you're just not the right fit for each other and how you go and you. Know, it might have seemed great in the honeymoon stage, and then you realize later on that you really would be better off with other people. Uh, so, are
0: we talking about my dating life?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is my therapy right here. No, I right, agree. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not always a negative outcome. Again, having been someone who worked for a literary manager, there are often clients where. The manager loves their work loves them as a person but they're just not getting the right results for them or things aren't working out in that way and so the manager feels that it would be better for them to find someone who is going to be able to help them in their career? It's not that they hate the writer or that they think they're not talented. It's just that you know they're almost holding them back from their full potential because something is not lining up. So don't feel like it's going to be some sort of aggressive move or you'll burn all your bridges in, in Hollywood. Just evaluate what's right for you and what's right for them.
0: Right. I think it ties back to both why they selected you in the first place, or why they wanted themselves to rep you, as well as kind of like you know the way TV writing generally works. Sometimes you're not going to be the great fit for that writer's room. And that's not an indictment on you as a person, as much as it is you are not going to be gelling with every single person. It's not going to be a win 100% of the time. I think the same is true for reps.
1: You got to live and learn. That's this industry. All right, so what are our takeaways from this episode? Okay.
0: Number one, play to the strengths of what each of your rep are best suited for. Generally speaking, your manager will be most useful on a career and creative level, while agents have a more focused approach on a project-to-project basis.
1: Number two, communication is the single most important thing in your rep relationship. Knowing when to communicate, what to communicate, and why, on both your end and theirs. So set your expectations early and understand theirs so you don't run into these avoidable issues.
0: Number three, disagreements on creative notes or career plans can sometimes happen. Learn how to deal with them without compromising your work or souring that relationship.
1: Number four, reps come in all shapes and sizes. So whether you're at the beginning of your career or making a switch, make sure that you're paired up with a team that is best suited for your needs.
0: And on that note, do we have any resources?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is one we've mentioned before probably a couple of times, honestly, but it's called How to Manage Your Agent, a Writer's Guide to Hollywood Representation by Chad Gervich. Chad Gurvich also wrote Small Screen, Big Picture, which is another super handy guide to the industry, and this is no different, and it really delves into a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in more detail and how to make the most out of those relationships with agents and managers and what everyone on that side of the business does.
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why we're bringing this book over and over again. And I feel like it's probably the definite resource right now on agent client relationship.
1: Before we go, our Paper Tease competition is still open for submissions. So if you have a TV pilot teaser of eight pages or less, any format, any genre, you can enter it for free at paperteam.co/teaser to potentially get feedback on air from us, win prizes from our sponsors, and be eligible for our Paper Team mentorship. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 108. And we would love if you could take the time to leave us a review. And you can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. All those reviews are going to help us attract new listeners and uh, build our paper team community. And make more of those
0: sweet, sweet episodes. As always, I'm on TV. I'm on TV calling. As always, (laughs) I'm on Twitter at TV calling. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and i'm on tv at, at underscore henry watson
0: <laughs> if you have any thoughts feedback uh, ideas for future episodes you can send them to ask at paperteam.co and next week we're doing our monthly paper scraps episode with feedback on two paper tees entries as well as uh, some updates about current events
1: yeah i think we're gonna have a great chat about the industry so tune in for that see you next week see you then